As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Scientific American, I think it was, did a study in the early 70s on the efficiency of locomotion. And what they did was for all different species of things on the planet, birds and cats and dogs and fish and man, goats and stuff, they measured how much energy does it take for a goat to get from here to there, right? Kilocalories per kilometer or something, I don't know what they measured it. And they ranked them, they published a list, and then the condor won. The condor took the least amount of energy to get from here to there. And man was, didn't do so well, came out with a rather unimpressive showing about a third of the way down the list. But fortunately, someone at Scientific American was insightful enough to test man with a bicycle. And man with a bicycle won twice as good as the condor all the way off the list. And what it showed was that man as a tool maker has the ability to make a tool to amplify an inherent ability that he has. And that's exactly what we're doing here. 
It's exactly what we're doing here. We're not making bicycles to be ridden between Palo Alto and San Francisco. Okay, we're making bicycles. And yes, certain bicycles have certain generic attributes, like in general, 10 speeds are better to ride in mountains than one speeds and other things like that. But in general, what we're doing is we're building tools that amplify a human ability. Just like the, um, you could say that the Industrial Revolution was basically an amplification of a human ability, sweat. Right? We amplified sweat, fractional horsepower motors, etc., etc. What we're working towards now is the ability to amplify another human ability. And we're just starting to get glimmerings of where it's going to go. Steve Jobs, 1980, talking about his vision for Apple computers. Something much different than we often hear when we think about a product vision. We think about the features, the roadmap, but we don't think about the underlying vision that rules that product. The vision that often comes from the CEO that's interpreted by the product manager. The vision that defines the company and that the product adheres to. And so we're going to talk about that a bit today. About Not about building a roadmap, not about building product features, but about building a vision for your product that acts as a guiding light for the future of everything that you build. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Welcome to the fifth and final episode in this product series. If you're just joining us, go back and listen to the first four episodes. We have some amazing contents. We walk through jobs to be done. We talk to one of its founders, Bob Moesta. We have stories of Jeff Bezos and lots of content from one of the first product managers at eBay, Ben Foster. Today, we're going to talk about product vision. I'm honestly not a big fan of listening to CEOs who describe their product like this. Additionally, um, people have been storing this data in enterprise data warehousing, SQL, relational type systems. These new data sets require a different type of system, a non-relational system that supports real-time transactions and real-time analytics at its core. What the f*** did he just say? A non-relational system that supports real-time transactions and real-time analytics at its core. Yeah, even if you speak that language, even if you understand exactly what he's saying, there's zero emotional attachment to that vision, to the product itself. It's nothing but a set of features. And we've all sat in product meetings, we've all planned a potential roadmap, and we've hit this pitfall where when we're working towards something, we look at the technology we can use first. And we get so wrapped up in the tech side of things and what's possible that somehow the actual problem we're trying to solve and what our customers really need ends up coming in second to the technology that we're excited to market. Or we get so wrapped up in the technology that we're about to use that we look at what its capabilities are first and what our solution and what our customer needs are second. And this is one of the biggest pitfalls that early tech founders fall into. And even tech companies, as they grow, when the responsibility changes from just the CEO saying it to all leadership on the team, knowing what vision you're working for. Here's Southwest Airlines' vision. 
We exist to connect people to what's important in their lives through friendly, reliable, and low-cost air travel. It's clear, it's concise, it has an emotional attachment to it, and every division of Southwest can work towards that goal. It is not specific to a product team or a support team or a sales team. It is something that the entire company can work under, including the product. They can say, does it fit our mission? And this this is what a product vision should look like. Now let's take a look at a more tech-focused vision, this time from Pinterest CEO Ben Silberman. Um, I don't know. I always tell the team that someday when you open Pinterest, it, you should feel emotionally connected to it. It should feel like somebody kind of handmade this, this catalog for you, and it should make you feel closer to all of the things that you aspire to do. And that's not really a vision that's constrained to a computer or a tablet or a phone. It's more, it's more of an emotional kind of response that we want to the product itself. And taking this kind of approach to the vision is so much different than saying, we want the product to do X feature and we're going to build X feature by X time. We're going to go through the backlog and figure out what we need to build next. Those things are all fine and there's a time and place for them. But next time you're doing a product roadmap, try starting with the problem that you're solving first. So what problem do you want that feature to actually solve? We want our customers to check out 10 seconds faster. We want to delight them when they do X, Y, and Z. But why do you want your customers to check out 10 seconds faster? Because we believe that life should be lived as an adventure and not spent booking one. Now we're getting closer to the kind of vision that's going to really lead you to the right kind of product decisions. It gets us closer to what guiding lights do you want your company to adhere to? And if you don't know those, then it's a conversation worth having with anyone who's in charge of putting that together. Because when you know that, as a company, you can move much faster. And I know we're talking about product today, but it's so important to be building your product to achieve company vision rather than just building your product to achieve a feature. We're going to hear from Laura Roder of Edgar when we get back. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. So I asked Laura what it means to be a product-driven organization. Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think one of the first things that comes to mind for us is about us being bootstrapped. So we, we haven't raised any money. So product-driven, I mean, the first thing I think when I hear that is that all of our money has to come from people buying our product, you know, which it, it sounds like a very obvious statement, but it's not the, the case for, for startups who raise money, at, at least not in the beginning, maybe later down the road. So for us, whether or not people buy our product is not some sort of like sort of side thing that we can kind of pivot and play around with it's like that's how we get the money to grow our company a customer has to vote with their wallet every day so with that because they are a bootstrap company and they always have been their product drives all of their revenue and this can be an additional burden when you're thinking about long-term strategy for a product because there are so many shortcuts that you could take to generate more revenue. And it makes it a lot harder to say no when features that are requested might go against the company vision. And we talked a bit about the struggle in saying yes and no to 
features. We are in a very crowded space, as probably you know anyone listening knows. There, there's no shortage of social media tools out there. And for that reason, it's really important for us to take a strong point of view in, in what we do well and also what we don't do. Because social media marketing is, an, is a very, very broad topic. You know, you have tools that allow you to do customer service on social. You have tools that allow you to track influencers and see what hashtags they're using and then incorporate those into your own tweets. You know, you have tools that are specific for Pinterest that do a lot only on that platform. I mean, it's, it's a very, very large space. And I actually think that um, a lot of tools make the mistake of kind of throwing in everything and then they end up being mediocre at a lot of things. Like, which is what some customers want. Some customers do want like very all in one. I just kind of need to get it done on a base level. Um, but what has been really successful for us, our bottom line is that we drive you more traffic from social. The nature of our tool is that you have content going out every day. We're really great at driving uh, new traffic to old content that you've created. We're a really great match for people who've created a lot of content over the years, but it's not getting exposure because we make that happen automatically. So this is actually something that I learned from from Jason Cohen um, of WP Engine. I asked him, I'm like, how do you make these decisions? Because we have these things that come up where we're like, you know, our customers are asking for this and like, it, it's sort of a good idea, but it would also sort of change how our software works and it would kind of make it more complicated. You know, how do you make that call of whether or not you're going to do it? And what he told me and that we really took to heart and implemented is you, it's all based on that one core promise of, of what you do. So WP Engine is such an amazing example of a company with a strong point of view because you're like, can I install this plugin? And they're like, no, you can't, <laughs> you know, they're like, I don't care how much you want to use it. It's going to crash your security. You can't install it like that. That's kind of their whole thing is like, we're going to make those decisions for you to make sure you have a secure website that's always up on WordPress. So it, that that was amazing advice. And it allowed us to draw a line in the sand and say, we help people grow their traffic from social. So if this feature is not going to help them get more traffic, we're not going to do it. And one of the biggest requests that Edgar gets is an Instagram integration. Now, Instagram isn't a network like Twitter where you can post the same content over and over without aggravating people. Instagram is a much more intimate social network where people generally post a picture once and never again. And the content is always evergreen. And so for Edgar, this goes against the core product. And it's something that they've really struggled with because so many customers want it. One that we get asked for the most is Instagram. So Instagram, obviously, really, really popular network. It's growing all the time. What a lot of people don't realize about Instagram is you can't automate posting there. So the tools that do post to Instagram, you actually have to go into your phone, like not even your software, but your phone and hit a button um, when you want the post to go live. The tools kind of help, you know, queue it up and remind you. So, so they're helpful, but they're not automating posting to Instagram. It also seems a bit in the antithesis of your tool. Well, exactly. <laughs> right. Like you don't, you don't repost the same picture over and over generally. It, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't really go with a strategy. Twitter, it makes a lot of sense to repost the same thing because people don't see it. Instagram, it works in a little bit of a different way. So it just is fundamentally different for a lot of reasons for the value we offer at Edgar. But a lot of people, when they're initially shopping for a social media tool, they kind of have the checklist. They're like, well, I'm using Instagram. So the tool needs to do Instagram. And so, so they're missing our tool. 
So knowing the strengths and weaknesses of her product, she knows what they do well. She knows what they don't do well. And she knows what they don't want to get into doing at all. And so they double down on that experience around what they do well. And overall, they don't find that they're losing customers by not supporting Instagram. Yeah, I mean, we find that people, you know, we get feedback from a good amount of people on why they cancel. Um, It's very rare that it's over a feature. I think it's much more common. I do think it's common that we sort of miss out on being on people's checklist in the beginning. Um, But once they're using the software and they see the value, I think they kind of understand. And what having the centralized core vision does is it helps us make smart product decisions. It helps us stay focused as a company and as a team, and it helps us pick the product features that we want to build when. Beyond the technical aspects of a product, this is probably one of the hardest things to do consistently month after month, year after year. I'm a big believer in in staying focused and maxing out the market that you have. Like I I recently saw an article about uh, Style Seat which is a, a product um, for hairstylists to be able to book easily with their clients. And I saw that they just launched like waxing or skincare or something like that. And Stylusy is like a really, really successful company, really big company. The software works the same, whether you're doing waxing or whether you're doing hair, you know, it obviously doesn't matter from the software point of view. And I thought that was really cool and a really like bold and unusual point of view for them that they're like, we are going to dominate hair. We are going to keep working on hair until every hairstylist in America knows about Style Seat. Then when we feel good there, like then we will move on to other lines. And, and that's how I want to be as well. You know, we have 5,000 customers. Great. There's a lot more than 5,000 people, you know, like running a small business, right? Using Twitter, like marketing online. Like there's a lot more than 5,000. So for us to like start going agency, start going enterprise, it's, it's very tempting, but I know that we have so much farther to go where we can leverage what we've already built. Thank you.